Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm Rob Kennedy, and we're here with Balaji of MedStack. How's it going? Doing very well. That was Thanks take number 743, just for everyone to you know. Got I got my name wrong and my show wrong. But other than that, it's good. <laughs> uh, so why don't you tell everyone what MedStack is now that you've taken a gulp of water? <laughs> sure. So MedStack is a developer platform for healthcare applications. Uh, we have looked at what it takes to build a digital product that deals in and communicates private health information. And the two biggest problems that developers of those applications face um, sometimes almost insurmountable problems, and we've uh, built a platform that handles them for them, uh, inspired by what you might see in other industries. So um, in our case, the problems we're tackling are compliance with privacy legislation and integration with enterprise healthcare systems, in other words, hospital IT. Mm -hmm. uh, if we can handle those things, then we open up an opportunity for uh, a much larger innovation community to build stuff in healthcare. So. Um a use case would be, look, I'm a developer, I'm like, this is the best patient photo selfie app, but I have to store patient data. I don't know the first thing about storing right. person data in a, in a way that it won't get me sued or arrested or whatever, but you guys do. So we'll plug in, use your platform to store that data? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what we're actually seeing happen is developers who do pursue this, they have to kind of, if I can use the term, go lower down in the stack. Because typical developer tools aren't built for healthcare. Mm -hmm. Now, is it possible? Yes, it's absolutely possible. In our experience, it'll run you about $200,000 a year and delay you by six months, which is really prohibitive for a lot of companies. And the frustrating thing is the amount of work, the type of work required to be done is pretty um, agnostic of the application itself being built. Mm -hmm. The regulations are not written by software people, uh, and they're constantly changing. It's a very, very complicated world. We also know it's jurisdiction specific. Um, so we can handle all that for for the developer. And again, you know, we we've built this tried and true based on what we've seen successful uh, in other verticals. So, in a common example, we use is um, how Stripe made payments very easy for developers. Yeah, exactly. We're trying to make healthcare management very easy for developers. That's cool. And then, is it? It's not just about storing patient information. It's about you said integration with IT right. systems and hospitals. I mean, you know, I've spent a bunch of time in healthcare in Ontario. If it's anything like the rest of the world, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. And there's people who built their own information silos. The integration pieces are terrible. Um, how do you even have? How does that promise work? Yeah, that's that's a that's a great question, and um, it's something that differentiates us from some other people in this space, and something we've been spending a lot of time on recently, just uh, kind of fleshing out. Um, the f the biggest problem in integrating with healthcare systems is the fragmentation issue. So even though we have a number of vendors that uh, that, that capitalize and, and sort of own the industry in the Canada and the U.S., and they're different, Canada and the U.S., um, because of the nuances of the way that hospitals work, which isn't surprising because what you're trying to do is digitize processes that have existed a long time in these very specific locations, there's a lot of customization, especially around things like electronic medical records. So some companies are trying to tackle this problem by saying, you know what, we're going to custom coding integrations for each uh, opportunity. Well, if you think about customizing development for every combination of every hospital and every developer, that becomes very, very expensive. And that is how they price it, very, very expensively. Right. Uh, timing is everything, as you know. Um, and so we're taking advantage of a, kind of a separate movement. So the healthcare digital industry itself, um, represented by an organization called HL7, uh, has built a new version of their standard. Uh, and this uh, the standard called Fire uh, is kind of the first really digital friendly version mm -hmm. of HL7, and it makes a great database. 
So since developers don't really uh, aren't, aren't really pushed to sort of create their own data formats, if we provide one to them, because I'm kind of like a, a backend as a service, mm -hmm. uh, we can achieve a couple of things. So first of all, you have standardization of the applications across our ecosystem. Secondly, the hospitals and, and the healthcare providers are building interfaces between Fire and their unique EMRs already. So they can do this. So things. that was going to be my question. It's mm -hmm. like, um, have, I, I, you know, this is getting maybe a little bit nerdily pump plumbing like. Yeah. But HL7 has been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a different implementation of it. There's no pure yeah. um, uh, version of it. Uh, you know, you have, don't you have to wait for every institution to do that piece that you can integrate with so that, like, you have to wait. So if, if Rob's hospital yeah. hasn't done that, the latest version of it, can you even integrate with it? Yeah, I mean, you're going to wait. You're like, dude, that's going to be like um, half a million dollars, a million dollars. <laughs> to be fair, we're making a bet. Okay. Um, but uh, just about everybody we've talked to either has a fire interface in place already or has plans to build one this year. Cool. Um, and in the extreme case where we're working with a healthcare institution that doesn't have that uh, operational yet, that's where we bring our integration partners who are familiar with their particular implementation of Epic or Oscar or whatever the case might be, and then can help build the fire. So the use cases, like I, I have a, a piece of, in the first one it was like, hey, I need to store patient data. I don't know anything about privacy. MedStack can take care of that. Yeah. In this case, it's like, boy, I'd love to integrate this cool new, you know, meal planning software yeah. across, you know, all the hospitals in, you know, Alabama. Mm -hmm. um, I'll just use MedStack to deal with the integration piece. Right. Do you charge for, how do you charge? You charge the, you know, per record stored mm -hmm. for API call on both? Yeah, again, so we, we looked at what works in other spaces and said, well, ultimately developers are developers, so let's talk a language that makes sense to them. So okay. an analogy for what we do is uh, maybe something like Heroku. Mm -hmm. uh, so essentially we're charging uh, a, a monthly recurring subscription that tiers based on the level of technical resources you need bandwidth processing power, um, storage, memory, et cetera. We've toyed with <coughs> excuse me, other business models around number of patients, number of transactions, things like that. That may be a model we move to in the future, but that's not really how the developers think. Yeah. Um, they're like, you know, I'm, I'm predicting that this much data, what's it going to cost me? And so that's kind of the model. We the, one, the one question ever, ha having met you, the one question I've been burning to ask you since I've met you is, as a, so say I do do the selfie yeah. app for some reason, uh, and doctors or whatever want yeah. that, um, and you know you, I assume I pass my name, my yeah, yeah. sex, and age along. Say that's all you store um, in your database. Who owns the liability mm -hmm. of that? If something gets hacked, is it me as the app developer? Am I transferring the risk to you guys? Um, yeah, that's a great question. So because we are operating the back end, mm -hmm. we have uh, certain commitments that we make uh, with, with respect to the responsibility of managing that data. In fact, that's really the promise that we're making because in order to have a robust enough um, infrastructure that a healthcare industry can adopt it, mm -hmm. there's a certain amount of work that developers have to do, yes. which is really prescribed by the regulations. That work is not impossible, but it's it's a lot of stuff. Right, because I mean, just storing like my name, yeah. that's what databases are for. Yes. That's easy. Yeah. But the hard part is storing it in a compliant yeah. way that, you know, is hard to hack. And if it's hacked, it's, you know, you've obfuscated the data in some weird way. Exactly. So all of those things are things built into our platform. And then we, we have uh, we have terms in our agreements with 
the developer primarily around what we're standing up to with respect to. Uh, okay, so it's it's very clear. It's like, dude, if you store Rob's name on your server, yeah. and you get hacked, that's your problem. Yeah. If somebody hacks us, that's a different thing. Exactly. It's the it's the bit in the middle. I think that's yeah. yeah like, well, we can't we can't sign up to an application developer pulling the data from the MedStack backend and then you know printing it out and giving it to their mom. Right. It's not. There's we can do about yeah, that. Yeah, right? them being... But we can stand up to what we are representing with respect to once you give us the data, we'll be responsible for it uh, from the perspective of the regulations. And was that like expensive to set up? Because uh, not from a technological perspective, yes. um, because we know that it is. You have yeah. to think about that architecture and keep tweaking it as the law changes. Mm -hmm. But like from a legal perspective, do you have to get like a million lawyers? They had to sign some stuff. You had to get like assessments done by risk and privacy people and. Yeah, I, we, so we've been speaking with uh, with privacy experts, actually some some very prominent ones in uh, locally uh, around what this actually should look like and what we can stand up to. And the question is, to be honest, has never come up around the size of the legal uh, buffering you need to do. It's okay. been more around: Are you being responsible with the way that you handle? Security and privacy management and uh, ownership and and um, other such things and and there's expectations required with respect to how that's built out mm -hmm. um, and uh, and once you meet those from the perspective of things we've committed to do as well as people looking at the way that our technology is built out mm -hmm. um, then it's it's seen as acceptable for the uh, for the industry. Um, you know, we are having some conversations with our customers around what the right types of relationships and that sort of scenario should look like. And uh, we're looking at them and saying, you know, what do you need? Let's figure out a way to make it work. Cool. Okay. So let's take a step quickly back because your the origin story here is kind of interesting. Yes. Um, we were talking about it beforehand. So you obviously didn't start here. You mm -hmm. were somewhere else before. I was. I was. How yeah. Did you, how did you get onto this? I well, I've been in lots of places. <laughs> and uh, you mean you weren't uh, born like a year ago and no, just started? Like, well, amazingly, no. Amazingly, no. I just woke up one day and I was doing this. <coughs> um, I've had uh, I've had a pretty fun career, uh, and uh, I I do a lot of other things kind of besides this um, in the space around. Uh, product management as a as a discipline and a practice, um, advising, consulting, teaching, uh, and that's been sort of my career. And whether I've or not have had that title, <clears throat> but it's been very very different industries. There's one common thread that's kind of played through everything I've done. Uh, I work at BlackBerry, at Nimi, at Desire to Learn, at EventMobi, uh, which is all around platforms. So how do you get technology that's built by a company? Uh, exposed to another company so that something can be built greater than the sum of its parts, mm -hmm. either from the perspective of you know, a, a mutual corporate relationship or a developer ecosystem. Um, kind of a weird place because I don't consider myself to be the most technical person, but I, the business of that is really, really fascinating to me and, uh, and something that I've had a lot of fun with over the, over the years. So MedStack came to me as an opportunity, and I can kind of explain how that happened, but my reaction to it was... I could take all this stuff I know about platforms and apply it to one of the hardest, most important problems we have in society today, which mm -hmm. is pretty exciting to mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. um, how do we take a technology-centric platform approach and solve the healthcare crisis? Chronic disease, aging population, rising cost of healthcare, et cetera, right? Uh, how the opportunity came to me was I was at another company that was building a, uh, building a platform and we were building a public API. 
and uh, it was Nimi. It was Nimi, and they were uh, on the show. Actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was on the show. Uh, a big fan of that company and, and the things they do for our community. And uh, I mean, one thing I'll say about Nimi is that that that's a an example of some of the powerful things that we're creating around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm I have this sort of story I tell around the work I do with Medstack, uh, the work I do with with BrainStation teaching over there, and I, I do some work with the Ryerson DMC. It's all around the fact that we have potentially the smartest engineers in the world in the quarter that goes from Oshawa to Hamilton. Um, and we need uh, a business infrastructure to help build the greatest products in the world. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do across all of this stuff. And, and NIMI is a great like, example of that. And actually inspired me in a lot of ways to pursue something like this. So all of that NIMI, we were building at the, the software developer kit for uh, applications to speak to the wristband. Um, and this gentleman, Simon Woodside, who is CEO of a company called Monolith Interactive, based out of uh, Waterloo, came down and said, well, I'll play with it. And he built like the best demo in the room. Um, and we had mutual contacts and stuff, but I, uh, but we didn't really know each other very well. This is maybe two years ago, and um, and uh, he uh, he really impressed me with his creativity, and we sort of kind of shook hands and, and went our separate ways. And then when uh, when I left Nimi, he called me up and said, "I'm spinning a company out of Monolith. Do you want to run it with me?" My first reaction was amazing, but why me? Mm-hmm. And and he said, "Well, because." It's a platform, and I need somebody who knows the business of platforms, and you seem to know that. And whenever I hear you talk about the platform you're working on, it, it gets developers really, really excited. I said, okay, that's cool. What is the thing you're building? He says, well, we're going to make it easier for more people to build applications in healthcare. I said, holy crap, that sounds hard and really interesting, so let's go do that. So. Um, it's been a really interesting partnership uh, between the two of us. Was the agency a healthcare consulting agency? So they, that- so they weren't by definition, but they did a lot of healthcare apps. Okay. Just circumstantially. Uh, about 20 in about seven years. Oh, wow. uh, really kind of picked up after the iPhone launched. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, an application for a hearing aid company, for, for hearing aid tests, uh, some stuff for insurance. Um, some enterprise, some consumer, but all around uh, how do you manage health information. Um, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but but Simon is also uh, a study, I suppose. But but you know, a, a bit of an expert when it comes to digital security. We're mm. very very pedantic and and focused on that aspect. Uh, and uh, no, that's something we need to to do with a lot of diligence in order to be able to stand forth behind this proposition. So the combination is really powerful. So he's the like. Are there two two co-founders basically? Yeah, so well, so there's three, okay. um, and and it's the two of us uh, full time. Uh, the arrangement was Simon sold his stake in Monolith uh, and came over to Medstack, um, and his partner took over as the CEO of Monolith, and he's our part-time third co-founder. I see. Um, so we have this really interesting situation where it's just the two of us, but we have a working product because the product was built out of out of the agency, and we've been working with them as our uh, as our sort of so, uh, launch technical resources as we build that. So they team. productized the offering because they saw the pattern over time. Yeah, they experienced the problem <clears throat> firsthand, um, and so we have this combination of you know myself doing uh, doing business development, marketing, positioning, uh, messaging, um, Simon doing product, which is interesting because I'm actually a product guy. Yeah, but I know I'm enough of a product guy to know what we need in product and know he could do it better than I could in this space. He understands the regulations. He understands digital security. He understands what developers need when they're building a healthcare application because they didn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Mike comes in as our architect. Um, so, and so was it like, I mean, you know, I've worked 
I continue to work at agency style yeah, yeah. Um, uh, companies and you know it's easy it, you build things for other people mm -hmm. and you build products for other people but um, building your own thing aside from I think again I say this every freaking episode I think yeah. all product company services companies want to be product companies yes it's really hard to do it's really hard to do so when, when you uh, you know there the solutions are the compromise made is usually for the client so that you can get something to market quickly. And not that the, the quality is compromised, but that is the first mm -hmm, priority. Mm -hmm. They're not, it's not meant to be a product that you sell on the market. Yes. So were you handed a, you know, a thing that's pretty secure and pretty private, but it wasn't really something you could do anything with. You had to productize it. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I'd say that the product was born out of the frustrations that the agency themselves faced in what they had to do to build these quality deliverables to their to their clients, right? So when you're dealing with healthcare data, there's just certain things you just can't compromise on. And, and they had to brute force this stuff every single time. And they said, well, there's gotta be a smarter, better way. Um, I would, you know, it wasn't a complete product. Mm -hmm. It was what you'd call a late stage alpha. Okay. But we had the pieces in place. Um, things like Fire sort of really came into play in the in the product in the last year. Um, we actually originally had a focus on Apple HealthKit as a potential platform mm -hmm. we wanted to put in the cloud, mm -hmm. which is still in the product. Um, but we've seen a lot more interest in, in Fire as an opportunity given its integration with uh, with healthcare systems. Um, but the compliance stuff was built in. Uh, we built some of the policies around it in the last year. Those are things we added to the product, um, and uh, and we have a roadmap for sort of developer ease of use and. Uh, some additional security hardening that we uh, that we wanted. So to. was it like <clears throat> you were given a, a decent, you know, secure uh, database for health information? Yeah, that was the product you were handed, and then you, as you started to like product turn this into a thing that you could sell, you're like, you know, actually people really want to integrate with yeah. systems. That's where we should be focusing. Not that that's not important, but that seems to be where people are willing to spend. It was it was an idea we had where we really better understood its importance as we started talking to customers. I so we had something that we could have people touch mm. and play with mm. and then get their feedback on very much like an alpha program. Uh, and then we made tweaks to the product based on their feedback. Uh, and now we have something reasonably robust that's repeatable. So would, how did you fund the further development of this thing? I understand that there's another, there's the agency, Yes, but it costs money. Mm -hmm. Does like, are you, do you guys, are you bootstrapped? Did you just say, we owe you? You owe you half a million dollars. Thanks very much. We'll get it back to you in sales. Well, it's a little bit of a combination of all of the above. Okay. Uh, and uh, you know, we were uh, we were accepted into an accelerator program uh, in the U.S., um, which is a really amazing experience. Not just because of um, of, of being exposed to additional co customer opportunities, but better understanding the proposition with U.S. healthcare institutions. Uh, and which one was it? It's called DreamIt. And where is it? Uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. And which, why Philadelphia? What's in Philadelphia? Right, that so that's that, that's what I was wondering too. Yeah. And and now we're at the point that if, if and when we ever open a U.S. office of any sort, that's probably where we'd be. Really. I was blown away by what they're doing in healthcare technology in Philadelphia. You have all these massive institutions. I mean, Penn State Medical is like bigger than all the hospitals in Toronto put together, hmm. and that's just one of like five. Mm -hmm. um, and their thirst for innovation is is incredible. Um, I would have expected maybe like Boston or California, but it, specifically for healthcare IT, mm -hmm. Philadelphia seems to be this hotbed. Hmm. Um, there, that's where Blue Cross is based. Who runs the um, uh, accelerator? So the accelerator is uh, co-supported by uh, by Penn State and by Blue Cross, Independence okay. Blue Cross, um, and. Uh, um, 
so we had we were in the first week we were exposed to you know these teaching hospitals uh, we were exposed to Pfizer Merck and Blue Cross and UHS and all these other enterprises and it really helped us kind of test out our proposition there uh, and then they, they put some funding into the company is as it well. a typical like we'll give you a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars and we'll take five percent six percent yeah and off we go yeah kind of. yeah so it was it was four months okay. uh, and um, semi-remote so my partner was down there I was back and forth okay uh, ended in a road show um, as opposed to a demo day yep. I think they may have for the current cohort they may be going back to a demo day but we spent a week in California half a week in Boston half a week in New York meeting with investors um, and uh, we got our first US customer out of that which is hmm. one of our classmates uh, and now I'm speaking to some of the current <laughs> cohort um, really amazing program with some really connected smart people so I mean like you guys had sort of like some semblance of a potential customer base here, and you had a product that had some validation, yeah, yeah. came out with something. Why did you choose to do an accelerator? Um, because we, there was, there was a few things we wanted to better understand. We wanted to understand what our proposition beyond just supporting the developer was supposed to be, um, because you know that's a hard business to get off the ground. It's great, well, sorry, it's a great business to kind of use as a beachhead, but it's a hard business to grow, uh, and we wanted some support on that. We what's that like having developers as a customer base? Yeah, as a generic customer base. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, because startups don't always have a lot of money, right? right. Um, so what do we do beyond that? It's okay to start there. What do we do beyond that? Uh, we we knew we would want to go to the U.S. market, and we just said, okay, we have no clue on how to how to talk to the right people down there mm -hmm. of what they're expecting. So this was an opportunity to do that, um, and uh, and we knew we needed the the mentorship beyond what we'd built initially to building a fully scalable business because our backgrounds are, I've been in the entrepreneurship space for a while, but never a CEO. Mm -hmm. uh, and while my partner has been CEO, we CEO of a services company. Mm -hmm. So running a product startup was kind of new for both of us, really. Yeah, yeah, Although yeah. we'd been around, people have been doing it for a long time. Um, and so we had this great opportunity to speak with very, very experienced entrepreneurs in the healthcare technology space. And we said, okay. We, we so what have you learned? Like, you know, you've been in some notable Canadian companies mm -hmm. consulting or working for them. Yep. Uh, now you're on the other side where you're building a thing. What, what have you learned from like, you know, you're like, well, I don't know why you don't do it this way. You're yeah. stupid. I'm smart. You know what I mean? Like from the outside or even like, I know you're in the inside, but yeah. you're not the one at the table making the decision about what direction to go. Mm -hmm. Now you're at the table making the decision about what direction to go. What have you, in retrospect, what have you learned being on that side of the table? <laughs> it's kind of funny because I'd almost say, well, geez, now I know why they hired me. Because <laughs> I, not me specifically, actually, I don't know why they hired me, but I know why they hired somebody. Um, when you're in it, even though you know the questions you need to ask, mm -hmm. it's really hard to have time to pull all the data together to, to make the right informed decisions. You got to do a lot of stuff off your gut. Mm -hmm. um, and where, and, and then the, the frequency of mini pivots, like even I had no idea it was this much. It's like, it's, you're always on, it's always plugged in every decision you're questioning every moment. Um, and, and you find yourself frustrated going, I got to make this new decision today that I didn't have to make yesterday and I wish I had time to spend on the decision, but I just got to make a decision. Let's just do something mm -hmm. and then let's make sure we know how to measure uh, so we know whether it's sticking or not. Uh, I think I probably knew that, but I don't think I fully appreciated it unless I was until I was in this role. Um, and so, you know, we're we're leaning pre pretty heavily on our network of advisors and uh, customers and uh, even you know other people in our space watching what they're doing um, as we're building this out because entrepreneurship is hard 
but this is also bleeding edge space. Uh, yeah. A combination of tremendous potential, a lot of stuff people don't understand, and in some sense, uh, a lot of inertia because it's an old industry, so. How do you, like, I think one of the things that always surprised me is like, you know, from the outside, it's like, oh, they're clearly dancing in that room. Then you open the door, you realize it's on fire. Like, mm -hmm. oh my God. So, you, you know, there is no gut, like there is no right. There is no right. There is no right. It looks like there's a right, or it looks like it should be obvious that there's a right, but there's no right. Yeah. Because uh, you're in a, you know, the space you're in, like it's, it, the opportunity's huge. Everyone knows that it's huge. It's laggard in terms of its mm. technology, although yeah. most, you know, uh, verticals are like that. Um, and it's in this weird like car accident of old tech and opportunity, but it's about to be disrupted, but nobody really knows how. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, are you disciplined enough to like have hypotheses and measured them? Because I mean, that's all really great until you're in it and you're like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening? And what, I don't have time to measure that. And I think I should have looked at that thing. How do you, how do you even know that you're moving in the quote unquote right direction? I hate the way you worded that question, Rob, <laughs> because I'd love to give you a specific answer, <laughs> yeah. but you've called me out on it already. It's tough. It's yeah. really hard to be, to be academic, and and it's funny because I I, I feel a little bit like Jekyll and Hyde sometimes because mm -hmm. I I'm doing this, and yet I'm teaching at the same time. Mm -hmm. When I'm teaching, I'm all like, this is exactly how it should be run, and you mm -hmm. should do this step and this step, and make sure your product canvas is with you wherever you go, and <laughs> all this other stuff. But in the real world, doesn't really work that way. It's a great way, it's a great ideal to have in your head, um, and so. Um, I have to I have to really thank my my partner on this because we're really different and and that allows us to question each other on everything, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and and so when we come up with an idea, when one of us comes up with the idea, the other person will respond with, okay, here are the things we don't know about that idea, and we should just watch for this, 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 and this, um, and that allows us to somewhat informally, somewhat off the cuff test. The things we're doing and make sure we're learning by every every decision we make. So it's been about a year and a half. Yeah, uh, you've gone. You've done the accelerator. You're violently rich. I'm just kidding. Uh, so like, where where are you at now? So yeah. you, you've got a few customers. We have in a few the customers. Me record side or on the integration side or both. Um, so we have yeah both actually. Um, primary focus has been on compliance. Uh, we have had a couple of uh, customers that have used the integration capability as well, um, which really helped us validate our approach to that problem. Um, combination of startups, one uh, small enterprise. Uh, there's another model that we're testing out. We have a customer that's somewhat a long way there, but uh, which is pretty interesting to us, which is to go and kind of go beyond technology companies to people in the healthcare industry themselves. Doctors, right? So doctors who, to paint the picture, you know, maybe running outpatient clinics of some kind um, and are thinking to themselves, wow, if my patient only had X, uh, life would be better. Their care program would be better. I'd have more data to work with. We could provide a, uh, a more effective uh, treatment for this patient. And in lieu of anything else, these physicians go to the IT departments in their hospitals mm. who aren't app builders who go, you know, while my business is running infrastructure mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know where I'm going to get a solution. To this. So we've been toying with the idea and speaking with physician groups, um, Canadian Medical Association being one of them, about how we could partner with agencies, which would include our, uh, you know, the company that we, we came from, but not exclusively, there's others as well we work with, to kind of come and say, we'll give you the platform, we'll give you the expertise, we'll give you the documentation, we'll give you the integration plan, we'll even build the app for you. All we need from you is the idea, the patient opportunity, and, you know, let's work together and figure out a way to, to, to fund this thing. So, I mean, that won't be 
the biggest part of our business, but it's one of the ones that fascinates me the most. Um, Is that not a, a distraction though? Like it's another, like- At the core, it's still our platform yeah. being used, right? Yeah. So it's the same product. Okay. Uh, the channel is slightly different, okay. um, but it wouldn't just be us anyway, right? right so right, really, right. I'd be referring to somebody else who operationalized a lot of that relationship. I see. So you're trying to find like the optimal way to get people to use the cha the, the platform. Yeah, yeah, right. and, and so I mean, the thing that's exciting to me maybe isn't the scale of that, but the stories we can tell, mm. right? Uh, so, um, so for example, one of the ones we've been working with. Uh, locally in Toronto, there's a physician. She's very passionate about helping young people who've got um, mental health disorders, specifically OCD. From her perspective, if this doesn't get, if this, if a, if a child exhibits these symptoms and it doesn't get treated early, they can have a very, very tough life later on. So hmm. she has a care program that allows these kids to handle their conditions. Um, but uh, up till now, the way she's been doing it has been basically providing like exercises on paper. And she's like, I don't know if they actually do them. I don't know how effective they are. And it'd be really, really easy to have an app. Now, the interesting thing about this is that when people hear about MedStack, they tend to, oh, you guys you know, must be supporting like wearable devices and sensors in the home. Yes, that's true. We have a number of customers that are in the medical device space, but it can be as simple as a web form on a phone, mm -hmm. right? It's still patient data. So we're working with her to create an application uh, for basically cognitive behavioral therapy for these kids. And they do, the, they do the, the exercises on the phone, at home, between the clinic visits. The data goes back into her, into her system. She sees the data and tailors the next clinic visit accordingly. Hmm. It's a pretty amazing story. And things like that, I think, are, are, are really exciting to me. One of the things that I'm, I love about what we're doing is not only making, you know, there's three things. There's making the lives of developers easier, there's reducing the friction so that more people want to move into healthcare as entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. but also the stories around healthcare patient outcomes that we can tell on our platform. And that's the ultimate goal. Prove that, then we can bring more people into, into this. So the last question I'll ask you, because we're out of time, is, um, you know, you having worked at these sort of platformic kind of companies yeah. in the past, um, an obvious thing to do would be to go to some sort of venture capitalist and be like, look, we need a billion dollars yes. to like pay developers to build crap on our platform so that we can show the value of our platform. Uh, I'm assuming you're still bootstrapped? Uh, yes, yeah. Are you thinking about raising? And if so, why are you thinking about raising? Why would you do that? Right, right. So, you know, we have, we have a little bit of input from the accelerator. We've got some government grant money. Uh, we have been thinking about raising. Um, building platforms is hard. <laughs> I, I know that because I've done it many, many times and it requires like a good platform offer requires some baseline stuff around things like presence at developer events, things like support for a developer community by way of uh, developer relations and, uh, uh, and other such support. We need a community, you need a portal, you need sample code, you need incentives, you need prizes, you mm -hmm, need contests, mm -hmm. all that stuff we wanna do. It's expensive. It's expensive. Yeah. Um, and you don't do it all from day one, you, mm -hmm. you start small, but we're at the point now where I have enough of a product that I need more people looking at it so they can tell me what's wrong with it so I can fix it. Mm. Or tell me what's right with it so I can sell some more people, mm -hmm. right? Um, we've had one-on-one -on -one conversations and this is the difference between selling services and selling products. Services are based on the relationship. You sit down in front of somebody and they trust you because of who you are and your experience. That's great for services, but it doesn't scale for product. So you know what we're talking about is what can we do to, uh, to make the product easier to adopt 
uh, more flexible, more <clears throat> relevant in different kinds of jurisdictions, for example. We are already seeing interest in Europe. That's going to require product development mm-hmm. to meet those regulations. And we know, for example, Germany has very different privacy legislation mm-hmm. than anywhere else in the world. Um, and uh, and how do we support our developers with a rich offering that doesn't let them feel that they've just got this SDK and, and, and nothing behind it? Um, the good news is that uh, investors are interested in platforms. Um, yeah. And uh, and and like we have so many examples of companies in that space that have been successful. Finding you know those kinds of investors having those kinds of conversations has been has been useful for us. We just have to make sure the timing is right for them and for us. Right. So that we can ask for the right things. Right. So you kind of be like, there's some there's some point where you're like, I think we've got the yeah. base, you know, sausage maker, and we we understand how the system works. Mm-hmm. So we just need money for fuel yeah. to expand. Is that yeah. basically? Yeah, yeah. And we know the space, the space itself is very new. It's kind of like, it's a combination of this weird dichotomy of some people thinking it's really easy mm-hmm. and some people thinking it's so hard, they're like, it'll never be solved. And right. we know that the answer is actually neither of those. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so you know, the testimonials are really, really important. Um, I'll tell you my favorite investor story, which is when we did this tour uh, following the accelerator, we met four or five individual VCs who said, you know what I did before? I was an, an investor. I was an entrepreneur and I wanted to build a healthcare application and I didn't do it because it was too hard. And if had you guys existed, I would have launched my product. Hmm. There's no greater validation than that. Right, so. right. At least for getting money. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Rob. Um, if people want to check out MedStack, where do they go? MedStack.co. .co. Mm-hmm. Just like smallrooms.co. MedStack.co. Right. Uh, cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show. This was Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. Thanks to TWG for sponsoring us. Thanks to Nick Kuhn for producing the show. Stay tuned next week for an episode where we talk about, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs>